We are continuing our Common Good series, or mini-series. And today, we are in part one of three of a slightly more detailed consideration of tongues and prophecies. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, and we've been talking about what it means to do things for the common good. And last set time that we were in 1 Corinthians, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we were looking at love, the topic of love, and what it means to have love for the common good, how love needs to be manifest for the common good. This morning, we're starting into this three-part sort of mini-series, in the mini-series, about tongues and prophecies, because that's what Paul pays a lot of attention to in these chapters, 12, 13, 14. He pays attention to those two things. And these have been topics that have been, in many ways, misunderstood or misapplied. And I'm not suggesting to you that right just because of these three sermons, you will have everything that you need to know about this topic. This is a vast topic. And there are many, many nuances to it and things that I'm glad to cover in our sermon discussions and in other forums and so on. But through these weeks, I want to at least get some foundational things in place so that we would apply this. And this is also fitting for what we're looking to do through the rest of the year because it is the foundation that causes or enables the, the structure to go up with strength. If the foundation is not strong, nothing else can happen. And so these things that I'm talking about are foundational. So in our nightly fasting and prayer meetings, we are praying that this year what characterizes our lives individually and our church collectively will be the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now the manifestation of the Holy Spirit includes, but it is not limited to spiritual gifts, signs, and wonders. The manifestation of the Spirit includes the empowering of the Spirit to apply the Word of God, to be doers, not merely hearers of the Word, and particularly to apply it in terms of keeping a tight rein on our tongues. The manifestation of the Spirit includes bearing the fruit of the Spirit, especially to love others as the Lord loves us. The manifestation of the Spirit includes deliverance from all kinds of bondage. Bondage to all sorts of addictions, sin, past, whatever it may be. The manifestation of the Spirit helps those chains to be broken. The manifestation of the Spirit includes our redemption, our salvation, and our ongoing sanctification as we are transformed into His image. That's all part of the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself. He is reminding us of what Jesus said. He is bringing light and life to us. He is involved in our lives. And by working in and through us, these things are taking place. Our salvation is being realized. Our sanctification is taking place. The manifestation of the Spirit includes the exaltation of the Lord Jesus so that when Jesus is lifted up, everyone will be drawn to him. When Jesus is lifted up, that's what he said. He said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So we don't have to do anything. We just have to rest in the Lord. 
We just have to be hidden in him. We just have to depend on him. Again, as we were reminded this morning, we just have to say to him, Lord God, you come and you do your work. We are going to be responsible. We are going to be accountable. We are going to be diligent to glorify you, to exalt you, to lift up your name, to make your name known so that you will draw all men to you. That's his promise. So that's what we want to go after. So the manifestation of the Spirit, when I say this year we're praying for the manifestation of the Spirit, we're praying for all of these things. We're not talking about simply spiritual gifts or the exercise of gifts or so on. We're saying in all these ways, we want the Holy Spirit to be manifest in our midst throughout this year and next year and every year after. But we want the Holy Spirit. We're praying particularly for that this year. right? We want to see that happen. So with all of that in mind, with all those truths ringing in your ears, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Our focus this morning is more on tongues than prophecy. We'll get to prophecy in the coming weeks. However, it's important to note that Paul refers to both these gifts in the same breath because both these gifts are meant for building up the church. In fact, he urges us to excel in these gifts or in the, any of the gifts that build up the church. So how do tongues build up the church? Well, let me start with a negative statement. The biblical standard is that unintelligible words, in this case, tongues spoken to the public without interpretation, do not build up the church. Tongues, 
without interpretation do not build up the church. Or to state it differently, not all kinds of tongues explicitly or directly build up the church. Which means we must recognize that there are different kinds of tongues. Remember what we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, and in chapter 12, verses 27 through 29, as we considered that spiritual gifts are for the common good, for building up the body, where every member does its part according to its specific function and gifting. So let me read through those scriptures again, because this is important for us to establish this, this, this truth that there are different kinds of tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 11 says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Going a little further down in that chapter, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 29, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. By the way, the word greater that is used here in chapter 12, verse 31 and what we read in chapter 14, verse 5. This is not referring to the relative value or worth of prophecy over tongues. It's not saying prophecy is greater. What it is saying that the priority, the preference of any exercising of the gifts in our corporate gatherings should be made based on the gifts that benefit others. So in that regard, prophecy that is the word of the Lord spoken to the people. We'll get into this again in, in coming weeks. If that is to be spoken from the Lord, that is to, for the benefit of the whole congregation, that is to be preferred over just speaking in tongues without interpretation. Right? That's why he's making this point of saying greater. There is a greater benefit for everyone in the exercise of a gift that is received and understood by everyone. Otherwise, you'd say, I don't know what that means. Right? That's what he's pointing out in this chapter. Which brings us back to the recognition that there are different kinds of tongues. Paul's very question of do all speak in tongues is in the context of what he refers to in verse 10, uh, well, in chapter 12, verse 10, and chapter 12, verse 28, what we just read, that God gives different kinds of tongues. Because God gives different kinds of tongues, he says, do all speak in tongues, meaning not do all not speak in tongues as a binary. It's some speak in this kind of tongue and some speak in this kind of tongue. 
but it is for different purposes. It is of the Lord. And so when we look at this and we go through the scriptures, for example, in Acts chapter 2, very famous sort of reference to this as soon as we start talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that which the Lord Jesus himself promised and said, you wait for this to come. When we read about that in Acts 2, we see that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 people gathered in the upper room and they began to declare the glory of God, the wonders of God and manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit by speaking in languages, known human languages that the speakers had not learned but those were understood by the diverse crowd in Jerusalem who had gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. So the people had come from all over the known world to Jerusalem, Jewish people, so to celebrate this Feast of Pentecost. And while they're there, the believers in the upper room, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, start to speak in tongues, but in this case, known languages that brought the attention of the people to what they were doing. It was mainly the purpose of those tongues was so that they would get the attention of the people who did not know about Jesus so that they could listen to the gospel message. And when it says there that Peter then stood up and preached and talk, talked to the people, he most probably spoke in Aramaic. It, it's, he's not you know, sharing the gospel in a tongue unknown to him. He's not sharing the gospel only in one of the languages. He's just is speaking in the known language. So in our case, as we would do things, we speak in English primarily, and we just share in that language. So the tongues that preceded it was to get the attention of the people. They said, Who, what is this that we are hearing? They are declaring the glories and the wonders of God in a language that we, we understand, and it's pretty clear they don't know. What is going on? And once having gotten their attention, Peter stands up and he delivers the gospel message. And 3,000 were saved and baptized and added to the church on that very day. In Acts chapter 10, we read of Cornelius and his household speaking in tongues as evidence that the same Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 2 was being poured out on the Gentiles, on the non-Jewish people. And that was a revelation to Peter and the other Jewish believers. Those were tongues that brought about the inclusion of all peoples, ethnicities, into the church. That was the way in which the Lord was starting to make that happen. It doesn't say there that Cornelius and his household spoke in any known language. It doesn't say that Peter understood them to say something that they couldn't understand, but he could. It just says that those tongues were an evidence that there was the same Holy Spirit being poured out on these Gentiles. That's what Peter says. Wow. He says the same Holy Spirit has now been given to them. How could we not? How could we not now fellowship with then it was the turning point for these Jewish believers to accept the Gentiles as their own brothers and sisters and co-heirs or co-inheritors of all the Old Testament promises. 
All those promises that God had made to Abraham and to his descendants and the Jewish people would hold on to and hold you know, dear, all of a sudden, by this one act and by the evidence of the tongues being spoken here, Peter said, wow, they are now being brought in. They are now my brother and my sister. They have been brought, grafted in to this branch. Right? In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus himself is referring to new tongues, not just known languages, new tongues, as a sign that accompanies the preaching of God's word to confirm the word as being from the Lord. So again, tongues given for a specific purpose, but a different purpose from what I was just describing. In Acts chapter 19, verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on the young men who were previously unaware of the Holy Spirit, he asked them, what, you know, what, how are you baptized? He said, they say into the baptism of John, and he said, where are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, we, we don't know about the Holy Spirit. And when he's speaking to them, they were believers in Christ. They received the Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. And so those tongues that accompanied the subsequent experience of the Spirit for these believers spoke to us or speaks to us to tell us there are these experiences that the Spirit would lead us into. So, in all these ways, different types of tongues. And here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, unlike all of those previous references even, the reference is to tongues that are to be spoken publicly for the common good of the body, the common good of the church. How do these public utterances of spiritual messages in a language that, are, that the recipient has never learned makes sense to everyone, they are to be interpreted. So if tongues are to be given in the church, they should be, in a public manner, they should be interpreted. Now, next week we'll go into more about interpretation of tongues. So that's the preview. That's the teaser. Next week, if you, if you want to know how we talk about or think about interpretation of tongues, be here next week. But this week, we're reinforcing a foundational principle that will enable us to apply the word, and that principle or that truth is this. Different kinds of tongues. There are tongues for public utterance, for building others up, which also means there's one more foundational principle that we need to pay attention to. There are tongues for personal edification. Chapter 12, verse 2 states, for, or chapter 14, verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue, a, a kind of tongue, does not speak to people but to God. So Paul is saying here, when you speak in a tongue, you're not speaking to people but to God. Clearly, that's not the same kind of tongue that you would speak when it is to be interpreted for the benefit of the church, right? And then... Um, Indeed, no one understands them, they utter mysteries by the Spirit. And then in chapter 14, verse 4, he says, anyone who speaks in a tongue, again, a kind of tongue, edifies themselves. The point that he's making is that there is a kind of tongue that is for personal edification. The moment you see that phrase, and there have been some pushback on these phrases as such, to suggest that that's somehow selfish or self-centered, but it isn't. There are a number of truths in the Word of God, a number of things that apply in the Word of God that are primarily, or at least in terms of its focus, meant for direct personal benefit 
And then through that, eventually or indirectly for corporate benefit, right? The very fact that we are called to be sanctified. Each one of us are sanctified individually. And that is a personal benefit for us. We are sanctified individually. We're made holy. We're consecrated. We're set apart for God. We are washed and cleansed and empowered and all of those kinds of things. But as we are sanctified individually and personally, directly, it also benefits the church, right? So there's nothing wrong if there is some action of the Lord that affects us personally first. It is his purpose to do that so that we will then collectively affect one another. So in this word that is used here, when it says tongues are for personal edification, that's nothing to shy away from. That is an opportunity for us to press into that to say, oh God, I do want to be personally edified. I do want to be built up. Edification is just to be built up and to be made strong and to be able to know the things of God and to have the Holy Spirit in action in you and to submit all the things to him. So, uh, so we are eager for this kind of personal edification to take place. And if tongues is a means by which that personal edification is happening or one of the manifestations of it, then by all means, eagerly desire it. This is not tongues for the purpose of interpretation for the corporate body. This is tongues for personal edification. And when you do that, when you talk about that, when he says here that you're uttering mysteries to God by the Spirit, you're not just speaking to the people, that means it's really like a prayer language for you. You are speaking this to the Lord. You are praying this to the Lord. You are uttering these syllables out of your mouth to the Lord, not even saying, I know exactly what I'm doing or what I'm saying, but I'm just praying this, allowing the Holy Spirit to pray from within me, pray as he would to the Lord himself, right? So you're praying in this way, speaking to God. Now, the Bible does not mandate, does not say that unless you pray in tongues, you will not be heard by God. The Bible does not say that. And the Bible is not trying to restrict or to to require us in that way to say, oh, I must speak in tongues, otherwise I'm not a Christian. That's not the point either. But this is something that is available for us. This is something that is a power that is of God for our benefit. And so why would we not want it? Why would we not say to him, Lord, you give me everything that you would desire so that I may in fact speak in tongues, pray in tongues, speak mysteries of God to you. Let the Holy Spirit take control within me. Now. When you do that, when you say that, when you talk about that as a prayer language and so on and so on, you know, how to express it to the Lord, it can be easily counterfeited. All you have to do is watch some movie that is mocking or, you know, or maybe even presenting Christians and, you know, tongue speaking and things like that. And, and you'll hear them do all sorts of stuff, right, which looks similar to what's done in the church. So tongues can be easily counterfeited. You can make sounds. You can do stuff like that. You can learn how to do it. You know, and that, and that has happened in many places, in many contexts, where somebody feeling the pressure to speak in tongues, or someone feeling like, oh, unless I speak in tongues, I won't be looked at as holy, I won't be, looked, I won't be accepted, I better start speaking in tongues. They're not speaking because of the Holy Spirit's instruction or impartation, they're speaking by their own strength, in their own, in their own tongue, right? And so that's possible. And it needs discernment for us. Even, in fact, the Bible speaks to of us to, of being discerning of spirits. But what I want to point out is that 
tongues should also, even if you are speaking by the Holy Spirit, tongues should also not be a source of spiritual pride. This is not for us to be able to say to the other person, I speak in tongues, you don't, I'm better. Right? This is not that kind of thing at all. This is not where the Lord is saying, here, or where Paul is saying, you know, writing this and saying, hey, I would like for all of you to speak in tongues. You know, he's not saying that so that we can say to one another, do you speak in tongues? Oh, no. Mm. Uh, well, maybe this year. You know? Uh, you know, that's not the point. The point is that we would say, Lord God, we want to come close to you. We want to pray. We want to intercede. We want to stand together. And we want to bring all of this before you in a way that is not preoccupied with the gift, but rather with the gift giver. And it is not preoccupied in the things that I would want or manifest, but it is focused entirely on the will of God. And it is not to be divisive. Churches have split on these things, on this topic, when in fact it was meant to bring us together. It was meant to edify us, sanctify us, prepare us so that we may receive the gifts and benefit the whole body. Instead we said, we're going separate ways. So we need to pay attention to this and pay attention to the fact that when the Lord fills us with his spirit, he may, in that moment or later or whatever, as he chooses to, as we wait on him, as we receive it from him, also give us the gift of tongues, of speaking in tongues. So that means that as we look to all of this, there are going to be occasions or opportunities for us to exercise this gift. Right Now, in church, in general, if you are here and you speak in tongues, and you pray in tongues, you may do that quietly. Right? And that's fine. That's that's all right. The person sitting next to you may hear you or may notice that you're speaking in tongues. That's all right. But if you speak it out loud so that others hear you, the entire congregation hears you, then I would encourage you, and I will come and talk to you if you need to, if that need be, that you are doing so because you believe that there is a public word to be spoken in tongues that is to be then accompanied with interpretation. Right? And I've seen this being done well. You know, we've been in churches where there has been either a prophecy mic or a, you know, other kind of means and somebody will come, there will be a pastor there, and someone will come and say, I believe I have a word from the Lord. And they will share it first with the pastor and then having said, okay, that sounds like you know, what you should do, they'll go ahead and share it with the whole church. And when they share it with the whole church like that, that is meant to have that interpretation, that, that coming of the word of God to the whole congregation. So we don't do things with tongues that would be disruptive. So if I'm up here preaching and somebody just bursts into tongues loudly, Unless God was saying right there in the middle of the sermon, hey, I have a word for you and what you're saying from the pulpit, I need to correct or I need to stop right now, most likely that is not really from the Lord. So we've got to pay attention to how we exercise the gift. When I talk about these foundational things, I'm saying, let's not be, uh, we're not trying to overemphasize these things. But we're not underemphasizing them. We certainly are emphasizing tongues and gifts and so on. But we don't want to do it in a way that would be disruptive. 
In fact, as we go through chapter 14, you will notice that one of the emphasis in this chapter is about orderliness. And we're going to get to that. And we'll talk about that in how we need to operate or how we need to behave in the church. But what I'm pointing out this morning is that we will be people who will say, Lord God, I desire the gifts and I desire to do all that you have purposed for me for the benefit of others. And I desire to do it in an orderly manner so that there is no disruption, but rather there is the coming of the Holy Spirit. So when, and we'll get into this again in, when we talk about prophecy, he makes a reference to tongues too. If one person is doing something that we would be patient, wait, allow for that to be spoken, ended, and then deliver the next. And those things will typically be in concert, in sync with one another. So there's all these principles that the Word of God gives us that helps us to understand this topic a little bit better. But this morning, I want to get us to where we respond and apply. And we respond and apply the Word of God that we have heard by seeking to build up the church in every way and especially in the exercise of spiritual gifts which includes tongues and prophecies, right? That's what we want to do. We want to apply that that way. We want to say, Lord God, you come and you do this. Do whatever you want with us. I stated earlier that one of the ways in which we can be doers and not just hearers of the word is to put a tight rein, not just a rein, a tight rein on our tongues. In fact... James 1.26, what we've been praying through in our fasting and prayer nights. James 1.26 states that if you don't put a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is worthless. So if you think that you're a good Christian and your tongue is going, you know, there is absolutely no control. You say and do things that you regret the moment they're coming out of your mouth. The Bible says your religion is worthless. Now the gift of tongues is the supernatural control of our tongues by the Holy Spirit inasmuch as we yield to the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't just you know, dominate, take control, possess. It's not like that. We yield to the Holy Spirit and then He takes control of our tongue or allows us to speak in this way. The gift of tongues involves the taming of our tongues by the Holy Spirit. When, as James chapter 3 verse 8 tells us, human beings are unable to tame their tongues. You're having a problem with your tongue? Well, you're a human being. Huh? The Bible tells us we cannot tame our tongues. So isn't it marvelous? Do you think it's a coincidence? Isn't it marvelous that God says, I will give you this gift of tongues. This opportunity for you to see that the Holy Spirit can come in and tame your tongue. Oh, I think all of us are going to burst out speaking in tongues right now. No, I, isn't that marvelous that the Lord wants us the Lord wants us to know him in these ways and to say, Lord God, I want my tongue to be tamed by you. 
And so when we speak in tongues, you know, maybe you do it for 15 minutes a day, maybe you do it for an hour, maybe you do it all through the day, whatever it may be. But as you do that, you are constantly and consistently saying, Lord God and Holy Spirit, you come and take control of my tongue. So that you will even make utterance from my mouth of things, of, 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 of a language, of, of words, of whatever it may be, that are for you alone. I don't control it. I don't say it. I don't, you know, I just yield my tongue to you. It has been more than 40 years that I've been speaking in tongues and I've shared on a past Wednesday night meeting my experience and so on. And I'm glad to do that this coming Wednesday in sermon discussion or in other opportunities. Each one of us have a story about how the Lord has led us in these ways and what he has done. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you've been disappointed. I know when I first experienced it, I prayed for a friend of mine. I prayed with a friend of mine. We were, we were in ninth grade, and we were young, and we were, you know, full of zeal. And he said, oh, pray for, pray for me and pray with me, you know. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and, we, and nothing happened. And he said, it's not for me. You know, the Lord is not a respecter of persons. He says, I bless, I pour out, I am present. I am with you. I am for you. I'm not saying to the other person, that person is better than you. I'm saying, I love you equally. So we want to pray. I want to encourage you that you would eagerly desire all that the Lord has for you. Paul says in chapter 14, verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I would like to echo that statement. I would like for all of you to speak in tongues. Privately, and publicly that you would be led by the Lord to bring a word that we would say let the Lord speak and maybe you'll make mistakes maybe you'll do something that has to be corrected maybe you know you'll have to grow and mature in it but let's pray so this morning even as we're praying for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church this year I want to encourage you Read through the rest of this chapter. Read this chapter again and again. Read through all of 1 Corinthians. But I want to encourage you. Start to pray. Pray. Eagerly desire the gifts. Eagerly desire those gifts that build up the church. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and grace in our lives and the power of your word that, Lord, can transform us. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us a means by which we can receive, we can exercise, we can speak, and we can be, Lord, building up the church. I thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that as you have given us your word, Lord, we want to respond to it and apply it so that we say, Lord God, you come. You do this work in each one of us individually and all of us collectively so that our church our church, Lord, will see this manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.